straight talk to Christians or plain talk to Christians. I will come to you again. This will be the third time. And remember, for every complaint, there must be two or three people to say that they know it is true. I'm reading 2 Corinthians 13 from the easy-to-read New Testament. You can follow somewhat with what you have. When I was with you the second time, I gave a warning to those people who had sinned. Now I am away from you, and I give a warning to all the other people who have sinned. When I come to you again, I will punish you for your sin. You want proof that Christ is speaking through me? My proof is that Christ is not weak in punishing you, but Christ is powerful among you. It is true that Christ was weak when he was killed on the cross, but he lives now by God's power. And it is true that we are weak in Christ, but for you we will be alive in Christ by God's power. Now this note in verse 5, look closely at yourselves. That's what we want to do tonight. Test yourselves to see if you are living in the faith. We want to do that tonight. You know that Christ Jesus is in you, but if you fail the test, if you find that you are not living in the faith, then Christ is not living in you. But I hope you will see that we have not failed the test. I just want to pause because this is not a part of my study tonight, but those words are very significant words in regard to a doctrine called eternal security. And I want to run them by you again in case you missed them. You know that Christ Jesus is in you, but if you fail the test, if you find that you are not living in the faith, then Christ is not living in you. And I would add, if Christ is not living in you, how could you be ready for his coming? Could you stand in his presence and claim salvation if Christ is not living in you? That's the key to being ready at the coming of the Lord. Is Christ now living in you? No wonder we are adjured to test ourselves, to check up on our faith. We pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. It is not important that people see that we have passed the test, but it is important that you do what is right, even if people think that we have failed the test. We cannot do things that are against the truth. We can only do things that are for the truth. I'm at verse 9. We are happy to be weak if you are strong, and we pray that you will grow stronger and stronger. I am writing these things while I am not with you, I am writing so that when I come, I will not have to use my power to punish you. The Lord gave me that power to use to make you stronger, not to destroy you. Now, brothers and sisters, I say goodbye. Try to be perfect. Do the things I have asked you to do. Agree in your minds with each other and live in peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Give each other a holy kiss when you greet each other. All of God's holy people say hello to you. The grace, the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
Amen. That is Paul's final word to the believers at Corinth. When we come back to our Wednesday night, excuse me, our Sunday night schedule of teaching, we will begin the wonderful book of Galatians. And I trust that you will be looking forward to that, and the subject titles will be in the January calendar that reach you very, very soon. Paul has reached the end of his letter, not the end of his life, but the end of his letter. And in this letter are admonitions. I have called them in our title, Plain Talk to Christians. You have the outline before you. I trust that you will follow it as I go. Be ready for my visit. Be sure you are saved. Be obedient to God's word and be mature in your faith. Be ready for my visit. In chapter 12, verse 14, he had mentioned his third visit. He mentions it, mentions it again in chapter 13. He refers to the Old Testament law that two or three witnesses settle a matter. Now, what Paul is finishing with in this book of Corinthians is a warning, a warning to the local church. Many of you like Westerns. In the terms of a Western, it's called a showdown. This is the big showdown at the corral. Paul is bringing them to a point of decision about their walk with God. There are no pistols involved, but there are strong words. No loose talk here. It's straight-from-the-shoulder kind of stuff. What is said will be witnessed. There will be no dragging on of the situation. Trouble must be faced, is what Paul is saying, and in his writing, he pulls out the surgeon's knife, and he says, I'm going to cut this thing out once and for all. And as we look at that, with that in mind, it is a very interesting sequence of verses and admonitions to a group of saints. Now, no one likes the surgeon's knife, right? No one looks forward to going into the operating room. I haven't met anybody yet that's really excited about that. I've never walked into a room preoperative and found those people just bouncing up and down gleefully saying, Oh, pastor, isn't it wonderful? I get to go lay on the surgery table in one hour from now. No way. I've had to pray some through to faith and out of fear, but I've never had to calm anybody's excitement about the opportunity down. Well, it may be that you're not too excited about what I'm going to say tonight, just as they were not all that excited about what Paul said, but it's necessary. Be ready for my visit, because when I get there, I'm going to be bold, he says, to deal with the sin that is in the church. I will show you that I'm not a weakling. I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm going to tell you just exactly what it is, and you'd better be ready when I come. Now, friends, that's the heart of a real shepherd. 
A shepherd, when he sees the sheep in danger, cannot just turn his back and close his eyes. He will face those issues with boldness to protect the sheep from the wolf or the precipice or the danger, whatever it might be. He even points out that in the death of Christ, the world would look upon it as weakness, but he immediately reminds them of his resurrection, and he tells them that he came forth to reveal the power of God. And though they think he is weak, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is going to come to them in the same way. Though I am weak, he is strong, and I am coming in his power to make known unto you the word of the living God. They could have spared Paul all this agony. They could have allowed Paul to be the first Robert Schuller or the first Norman Vincent Peale so that all he would have to talk about is positive faith. But their life did not allow him to do that. He had to unburden his heart. He had to give it like it really was, though that's sometimes difficult and sometimes not looked forward to, but it is necessary if we're going to walk in the way God has designed for us. So he says, be ready for my visit. Be ready. The second part, verses 5 through 7, be sure that you are saved. Now, the Corinthians were spending a great deal of time examining this man we call Paul. Now it was time that they examined themselves. That's why the admonition is there. Let a man examine himself and let him prove himself. Socrates used to say, the unexamined life is not worth living. And that's so true. What is the big problem with the eternal security doctrine? It is a tendency to forget. It is a license to just go on your way without self-examination, without evaluating the position of your faith and whether Jesus Christ is really in you or not. Paul would never be able to put up with that doctrine. He says, let a man examine himself. In the first letter and the 11th chapter is the entire section about the communion. What is the whole thing based on? He says, when we come together, let each examine himself. Be sure that you take the communion worthily, not unworthily. In other words, in the church where communion is apt to be served, it is possible for people to be gathered that are not ready to partake of the holy elements of communion. Examine yourself. Communion is not automatic. You have to make sure that you're in the faith. And now a second time, he says, examine yourselves. With Socrates, he is saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. A true Christian experience will bear examination. Now, I want to point out here that no man can walk up to another and say, you're not born again. I'm not saying that at all. I, I want to put the emphasis where it belongs, each examining himself. 
It doesn't give me the right to walk up to you and say, you're not born again, nor would it be your right to do that with me. Every man stands before God alone. Every man, Romans says, will give an account of himself to God. So we're not talking about pointing fingers. We're not talking about being mean to each other. We're not trying to tell others they are born again or they're not born again. We're talking about self-examination. Are you truly saved? Are you truly a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, how do you know? A true believer has Christ in him. That's what Paul said. I read it twice for you. A true believer has Christ in him. How do you know you have Christ in you? Romans 8. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You don't need any other witness than that witness. The Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that's inside. That has nothing to do with a card in your pocket from a church that may read member of First Assembly or Capital Christian Center or whatever the church may be. It has nothing to do with a document. It has everything to do with a witness inside where Christ dwells within the believer. You have Christ inside by the witness of the Holy Spirit. You could have even snuck in through membership classes in this church, I suppose, and not have that witness. But I'm asking you tonight to get that witness of the Spirit by giving your life to Jesus Christ, if indeed that would be the case, that be the need in your life. If you are truly saved, you will have Jesus Christ within you. I would then point you to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 where Paul said, It is not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Do you have Christ in you? If you have Christ in you, you will have the fruits of Christ. The fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace. The Galatians 5, 22 and 23 fruits of the Spirit. They will be in you. They will be manifest from your life. Do you have Jesus Christ in you? Examine yourself. Answer for yourself. Because I don't want any of you to miss his coming. I don't want any of you to be lacking at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. I want you to go in glory and in power to meet your Lord. Examine yourself. Is Jesus Christ inside of you? Now, he uses a word, I'm not sure you understand, in the King James, it's the word reprobate. There were reprobates in the Corinthian church. What is a reprobate? A reprobate is a counterfeit Christian. You know what a counterfeit dollar is or a $20 bill? 
Well, a counterfeit Christian looks just like the others, but it's not the real thing. It doesn't feel right, doesn't ring right, and it just doesn't pass the test. A reprobate, a counterfeit believer, not passing the test. You see, they charged him with being a reprobate, a false apostle. So he thunders back his response. I'm not a reprobate. I am a true apostle of Jesus Christ, witnessed by the wonders that he does through my life, the authority he has given me as I speak to you, the power of his resurrection that is at work in me. I'm not a reprobate, but I say to you, Corinthians, examine yourselves so that you will not be a reprobate, a counterfeit believer. It's so easy to point to the preacher and say, I wish he was more spiritual. Or I wish he would give us deeper sermons. Or I wish he would do this or that. Or to point to a deacon or a Christian. I get so tired of people talking to me about other Christians. They never want to talk about their own life. They never want to talk about their own experience, their own weaknesses, their own hang-ups. They're always interested about some other Christian. Tonight, the plain talk to Christians in this church is, from the Word of God, examine yourself. I'm not interested in somebody else. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your relationship with Jesus. I'm interested in your relationship with the coming of the Lord. And you ought to be too. All eternity pins on that one thing. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? You find it easy to serve God. Oh, it's a struggle. Then I would question whether the Lord is in you because if the Lord's in you, it's not a struggle. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's not a struggle. Big difference. It's a fight, but it's a fight you're winning. It's a fight you have some authority in. If the Lord is in you, if you're crucified with Christ, you can stand the temptation. You can stand the test because it's Jesus living his life through you, and you can't tell me it's tough if Jesus is living his life through me. I would say it's victorious because when you have a struggle and you win, how glorious that is when Jesus is living in you. Your relationship, your position in Christ, not your wife, you, sir, you, sir, not your husband, lady, you, not your parents, kids, you. Is Jesus Christ in you. Be sure you're saved. That's what he's saying. I feel just exactly like Paul tonight. I can relate to him. You see, Paul would rather lose his reputation and see the people in the church help spiritually than to have them continue in sin and him be looked upon as some great person. I would rather lose whatever reputation I have if it would mean you hearing the word and responding to that word and somehow getting where you need to be with God. I have nothing to cover over and I never have been bent on doing that anyway. We are dealing with plain vanilla. 
It's not some of those many other flavors, exotic flavors, just plain vanilla. If you live in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You will walk in the Spirit if you have Jesus Christ within you. We're living in a day of synthetics. It's important that professing Christians know that they are saved. Matthew 7, 15 to 29. I, I'm not asking you to turn to it. It's just a wonderful passage to mark down and sometimes read. You've got it there on the notes where Jesus is talking to his followers and he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't want to be hard and I don't want to ride any hobby horses in this pulpit. But when Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, I have to evaluate every doctrine that says, you're going to get in no matter what. Because Jesus says, not everybody that says, Lord, is going to make it. And when we get a crowd like this together, several hundreds of people, it would just seem that mathematics would say to us that if Jesus would come tonight, not everybody in this crowd that says, Lord, Lord, is going to go in. Unless... And this is the great unless, unless tonight they surrender to Jesus and give him everything that they have. Examine yourself. Prove your own self, he says, and see if you be in the faith. Do that tonight. Third point, 8 to 10, be obedient to God's word. I'm not going to be long, so don't be nervous. In verse 8, Paul is not suggesting that there is no way to oppose the truth. Satan certainly opposes the truth with his lies. And men are more prone to believe his lies than they are God's truth. Verse 8, in this particular trans translation, as I remind you again, we cannot do things that are against the truth. We can only do things that are for the truth. The enemy opposes the truth. False prophets oppose the truth, but it is our position to defend the truth. It is our position to stand for what is right. And Paul has three hopes for these believers. One is go on to perfection. Proceed in your faith. Don't stand still. That's my hope for you. Don't stand still. Some of you have been sitting there too long. You've been in the same spot spiritually. My hope for you is progression in the Christian walk. Move, my friend. Get into a Bible class. Get into a home fellowship center. Be faithful to read the Word and to pray and to witness for Jesus Christ, and to give your tithe to the Lord's work. Move on to perfection. That's his desire for them, mine for you. Secondly, his desire was for them to listen to the exhortation given. You know, it takes a big man to listen to advice. You can sit right now and be angry with me and just say, who in the world does he think he is? I don't think I'm anybody. I'm just trying to give you what God says. For your help. Now, it takes a big man to take advice. Not such a big man to give it, but it takes a big man to receive it. And what Paul was writing to these Corinthians, he says, I hope you'll be great. I hope you'll be big. 
I hope you will receive the truth that I'm giving you. Don't close your ears. Be big and receive the truth and do something with it. And I hope you're that kind of a person and you'll just relax and open your heart because all I, the motive I have is to help you. The third desire of Paul and hope for Paul or of Paul was for them to live in agreement and peace because you cannot worship the God of peace in the spirit of bitterness. It's impossible. All of that last section deals with them living in peace together, being in oneness. My friend, this church, thank God, has an expression of love in it. But I am sure that there are those who need to get right with each other in this fellowship. Need I say that again? There are people who need to get right with other in this, others in this fellowship. I said this morning I was going to tell you some things that God isn't condoning in this church. Your pastor has had to bring three men before the board in recent months who have borrowed money from people connected with his church and have not repaid the money. And it's long overdue, and it amounts to thousands of dollars in some cases. And we have prayed with those men, and I have assigned board members to those men to work with them, to pay their bills back and to work honestly and not be deceitful in their walk in this world. My next step, and I want you to hear me well tonight, even the men that are here who I'm talking about, the next step, if that doesn't happen, I am going to bring you before this entire congregation. I will give your name. I will have you up here on this platform because we are not going to have people walking into this church and visiting people and talking to people and getting money from people supposedly for some great investment and then that money be lost down the proverbial tube and never be repaid in the name of Christianity. It will not happen. My heart goes out to these dear ones and I can see some of them right here tonight in front of me who have been filched. In some instances, life savings. In one instance, it was a woman who will never come back to this church again. It was her first time here. She came with her daughters and she was visited by a member of our church one week later and she gave her entire savings, which was $10,000 to him and it's lost. She said, I don't need a church like that, and I don't blame her, and I'm going to ask the board the next meeting to pay her that money back. We have no obligation to do that, and I'm not sure where it will come from, but God helping us, we'll give it back because I'm more concerned about her soul than that I'll sell my car if I have to, to pay that back. Somehow it'll be paid back. Because it was in this church that it happened. You wonder why I come to you and ask you to examine yourself. Is Jesus Christ in you? Would Jesus Christ do that? That's fleshly. And we all are subject to the flesh. And I want to give a clear warning tonight. 
to this whole church, you walk in the faith, if you're going to be a member of this church, and you walk straight, none of this fooling around, saying things you don't mean, lying to people, putting people off. When this preacher finds that out, you're going to be called into question. Because I believe in integrity. I believe that a church cannot be any greater in the community than its integrity in that community. I believe we ought to walk according to the book. And Paul said you've got to be at oneness with each other, and how can you be if you borrowed money from people and you never intend to pay it back? You're not faithful to your word. I'm not sure I said that as clear as it could be said. Do you understand it? Did it come through clearly? And I want to add one more to that, if you don't mind. You've been so good to me tonight. I want to help you further. <laughs> this business of immorality has got to stop. This business of sleeping around with whoever and say, oh, we are so in love, we just love Jesus and praise God. Love enables us to do anything. Where in the world did you ever read that in this book? Nobody has a right to walk in here and seduce anybody in this church because you're too hot to trot. You just cool it, brother. And you cool it, sister, because I'm here to protect this flock. And nobody's going to walk in here and just take whosoever they will. When I hear about it, you're going to have to deal with me. You're going to have to deal with the staff and these board members. That's not Christian. And Paul hoped for their unity. We're united in what this book stands for, integrity and holiness and godliness. And we're just issuing warning tonight that there is a discipline being established that we're going to follow through with, a discipline according to the word. It will be in the mouth of two or three witnesses first, just as he begins the chapter. And just as Jesus said in Matthew 18, we'll follow the direction and we'll follow the order, but we're going to follow it. And we will expose anything to this entire church that needs to be exposed that Jesus may be glorified and that no wolf can come in amongst the sheep. I would say, finally, that that goes for any pastor, goes for any deacon, goes for any member, any teacher, anybody in this whole church. We do the same thing, no matter what their name is or what their position is, because that's the way Paul dealt with the Corinthians. He said, if you don't straighten it out before I get there, I'm going to expose the whole thing. I'm going to bring you under the judgment of God. You know what he was talking about? Do you know a preacher with the anointing of God can bring you under the judgment of God? I can prove that to you. If you will not hear the words of the preacher, if you will not abide by the teaching of this book, you come under the judgment of God, and that minister can turn you over as a reprobate to the judgment of God. I've seen it happen. Now, that's no delight, but that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they thought they could play games in the church, and the Lord said, I'm going to use them as an example, and he smote them dead. Wonder why tragedy sometimes happens? It's a judgment of God. No question about it. That's what Paul's talking about in this chapter. You wonder why I called this plain talk to Christians? Be obedient to God's word. 
Paul wanted to build them up, not tear them down. His aim was their perfection, their spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. That's the last section, verses 11 to 14. Be mature in your faith. Now, I hope what flows from my mouth will be what I feel flowed from Paul's pen, love. Note the love that flows from these final words. He calls all of them brethren and makes no distinction between those who attacked him and those who supported him. I love that. All of them were brethren. He says, you greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, that's an oriental custom. We don't have, hey, just a minute now. We don't have that custom here. That's an oriental custom. He wrote that in the light of the custom of his day and where he lived. Now, our custom would be shake hands all around. Don't miss anybody. Extend your hand to anyone, but stick it out and don't ever choose who you're going to shake hands with. Everybody will be a brother, even the one who knifes you, even the one who speaks ill of you. You can be a brother to him, and he will be the responsibility of God. But you're supposed to greet each other in perfectness. Paul closes with one of the greatest of the Bible benedictions. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That takes us back to Bethlehem where he became poor for us. The love of God which takes us to Calvary where God gave his son for all of us. And the communion of the Holy Spirit which takes us to Pentecost where the Spirit baptized all believers that were there in that upper room. What a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. What a benediction for a divided, unspiritual church. But I don't know anything that could unite the church any more than that benediction, and so I give it to you tonight. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Ghost abide with you all, every one of you. I have not come to this pulpit to make you feel bad, to make you hide your face if we should meet in the hallway. I love you. I want to see you mature in Christ. I want you to come out of your problems and out of any deceit that you may be in, into a life of wholeness and truthfulness. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the power, the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you. That's my heart. Hear my heart. The best way I know for people to get along together is to pray for each other. I've never been able to close my eyes and say, God, bless Mike, and meet Joan, and would you just please be very special to Susan and to Tom and to Pete and have anything in my heart against them? I just can't breathe their name to the Father and have odd in my heart. It's impossible, in my opinion. So we pray for one another, and we give each other 
the right to have the grace of Jesus Christ. We give each other the right to have the love of God. And we give each other the right to have the power of the Holy Ghost at work in and through us. I give you that right tonight. Every last one of you. I give you that right. And I give you that blessing in his name. Will you take it? Will you come before him in humility? As I feel I need to come before him to examine my own heart. God bless the word to you. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, what a great joy it has been to be here tonight. What a beautiful family. And in any family, there's sometimes troubles. Sometimes there's cheating and unfaithfulness, but we're still family. Sometimes family members speak ill of the other, but still family. Capital Christian Center, Lord, stands on the brink of one of its greatest days and greatest opportunities. And we just want to humble ourselves before you. We examine ourselves. Forgive us for our errors and sins. Cleanse us through the blood of Jesus. And give us the power of the Holy Spirit that we may lift our heads high in this world and walk circumspectly before the world. Cleanse us all on the staff, all of the deacons, all of the elders, every teacher and worker, every member and adherent. Cleanse us, wash us, that we may see more fruit than ever before because people can believe us. Oh, hallelujah. May people respond tonight in a way that will please you and glorify you and honor you is my prayer.